0: Good evening, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Covenant Church and it's wonderful to be with you tonight. We're celebrating baptisms. In celebrating baptisms, we celebrate what our, the, the pledge that our brothers and sisters have made to follow Jesus, their commitment to follow him, and we celebrate with them as they, they go under the water in, to symbolize the death of Jesus and come out of the water into the life of Jesus. And so a little bit more on that later, but first, uh, a short message. Uh, on Wednesday nights here at 715, we're in a series where we're talking about the attributes of God. Last Wednesday, Pastor Jim started talking about the holiness of God, and we're going to stay on that topic today. We're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 3, but before we get there, I just want to give you a little refresher. God is holy, and the word holy means set apart. And for God to be holy means he's unlike anything else that exists, that ever has existed, that does exist, or ever will exist. He's Altogether set apart to himself by himself above all creation, and from him everything comes. In Revelation, we see that uh, we see the, the four creatures are crying out to him, and they're saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord." And I'm not big on I'm not big on numerology, numbering things. And any time a pastor makes a qualifier that I'm not going to do something, it means we're about to do something. With all due respect, I'm about to be rude. I'm not big on numerology, but he does say it three times. And when things are repeated in the Bible, it's not because they didn't think that you got it the first time. It's because that is their way of saying very. So if it was stated two times, it would have been very holy. By being stated three times, they're saying completely holy, totally holy, W h o -L 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 l. EY, I don't think that's even a word. Holy, holy is the Lord. Unlike anything else, above, beyond, ahead of, behind, everything else that ever has been or ever will be. He is, he is the prime mover in physics. He is the invisible hand in economics. He's the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. He is the miracle that people are praying for. He is the extraterrestrial life that science is searching for. He is the missing link that archaeologists are looking for. They're just looking in the wrong time frame. It's just wrong to be looking in time because he exists outside of time. Time was for us. Eternity is for him. And he stepped out of time in Christ Jesus for us. So even if an archaeologist wants something, he's got Jesus to show us what eternity looks like inside of a man. But our God is holy. Holy. He's unlike anything else. And if he's unlike anything else, we need to be careful that we don't approach him like anything else. But so often what we do is we place him a little bit higher than the most intimidating person that we know. I know when I'm I'm about to meet with Pastor Brett and review something with him, I want to come as right as I can. Now, there's no superstition. I don't wear the same shirt every time. I don't wear the same shoes every time, but I want to come right. I want to present something to him that maybe I, I can get away with repeating the same story to my six-year-old son, but when I come to Pastor Brett, but when I go to God, it's not just a little bit above Pastor Brett. Uh, okay, I'm helping us tonight, Pastor Brett. Can I tell let me tell you a little personal story real quick, because I feel like we, we might need this. God is above and beyond Pastor Brett, and we know that, but we were afraid to say it out loud. And so I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you a, a little bit. Um, just want to encourage you a little bit. Maybe you just didn't know Grace Covenant. You can talk back to the front and not all questions are rhetorical. So you could say amen or that's right. Uh, also, that, the kind of culture where we think that Pastor Brett is equal with God is not the kind of culture that Pastor Brett wants to be created in this house. There's the amen. Amen. Oh. They're like, is he talking about it that way in front of him? He's the man of God. Yes. Yes, we are. I respect him. There was a time in my life, however, where I had Pastor Brett in the wrong place. And you want to know what God loves to do when we put things in the wrong place? He loves to remind us that he's the only one that belongs there. And so I'm fortunate to grow up in a house where it wasn't because of the failings of my leadership. It was through the successes of my leadership that I learned that he's not the one that I should be worshiping. But God wants our eyes and our attention and our affection to be fully focused on him, solely focused on him. We need to guard our hearts to make sure that we don't approach him just like anything else or just beyond something else that we really respect or admire in Exodus chapter 3, I think God gives us a neat picture, a neat illustration of how, uh, how we ought to approach God and why we ought to approach him in this manner and what happens when we approach him in, in the way that he desires for us to approach him. So Exodus chapter 3 verses 2 through 5 says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. This is God's word to us. Father, help us today to understand how to approach you a holy, holy God. In Jesus' name, amen. So Moses is going on his way and he sees this burning bush and he's impressed by it. It strikes his attention and it's burning, but it's not being destroyed. And God, God calls to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. I can only imagine what was going on in Moses' mind, but when a bush talks to you, you answer, I guess. That's... I don't think it's any more significant than that. That bush just talked to me. It already had my attention. Now I'm drawn to it. And he said, here I am. Sometimes when we hear the voice of God calling us, we feel so guilty for what we've done and where we've been, what we're running from, that when we hear the voice of God, all we want to do is take off. There was a police officer pulled up behind me on the drive to church this evening. I hadn't done anything in the last five minutes or so that should warrant me being pulled over. But I panicked. I got the hot sweats. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be late to church. I'm going to miss this sermon. And then I'm going to have to tell everybody why. You know, I figure for me, um, you know, if I get pulled over, even if I wasn't speeding, it's like I was speeding earlier. You got me. You got me. I can't. Okay, you got me for earlier. It just it washes. Anyway. The wicked flee when no one's pursuing. (laughs) Sometimes we hear the voice of God and we panic. Now Moses was a man who would have been right to panic hearing the voice of God. Do you remember why Moses fled Egypt in the first place? He killed a man. He's in Midian. The whole reason he's here, the whole reason he's tending sheep is, yes, because God's preparing him to tend the, the flock of Israel, but he's there because he messed up royally. And he ran because he didn't want to die. I want to encourage you that if you've messed up royally and you've run, I want to let you know that God, God's not afraid to chase after you. He's not even afraid to beat you to where you're going. I'm sure the bush has been burning for years. That's what makes it really a miracle. It had been burning for years waiting for Moses. God is like, man, he's going to kill that dude. Just like the bush. Just like the bush. And so Moses is walking along. He sees this bush that's burning forever. Nobody even knew it. And That's not really true. You can't hang your hat on that theology, but, but it's on fire. And he walks up, and, and God beat him to the place where he was, waiting for him, waiting for this killer, waiting for a murderer to engage him with his grace and to change his life forever. And so, so God calls him over to him. Now I'll say, It was fine for him to walk the way he wanted to walk when he was walking the way he wanted to walk. But things had to change when he started to approach the presence of God. God knows and expects a sinner to walk like a sinner. He's not shocked by it. We see the account of the woman at the well, the woman who's living with a man who's not her husband. And she had five husbands before that. Now, either this woman had five husbands die, which would be a tragic life. Or she's a serial adulteress, which is also a tragic life. But Jesus isn't off put by this. He approaches her knowing all of this about her. And he's not surprised by it. Oh, a woman who's not following me acting like a woman who's not following me. He sees Nicodemus, a man who's not following me acting like a man who's not following me. He sees your co as a man who's not following, your, following him the way that, that he, that walking in a way that they're not following him because they're not following him. He's not shocked by that nearly as much as we are. And so God beats Moses here and calls him to him. And now it doesn't mean that he was approving of the way that he was walking. But no matter how far he ran, God was there waiting for him. God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. His sandals represented the path of his choosing. It represented the the path that he had carved out, the path that he had decided, the trail that he was chasing, the goals that he had set. It was his life. It's everywhere that he had been and everywhere he intended to go. And God's like, that's going to have to go if you're going to approach me. Everything that you've planned for yourself, everything that you're running from, everything that you're running to, you've got to take that off if you're going to come to me. You have to forsake everything else to be near to me. Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Moses wasn't any different. Our sandals have carried us wherever we see fit. and It's time to take the sandals off. It feels funny to walk on ground when you first take your shoes off, doesn't it? Your feet are more sensitive. You're more aware of everything around you. You're more aware of what's under your feet, everything that you took for granted. You're more, uh, your, your senses are heightened. You're, 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 everything's acute. You're able to focus. You feel every step when you step on a pleasant surface, it feels good. And when you step on something unpleasant, it feels bad. Jesus is like, you're, but God was telling Moses, you're going to have to be more sensitive than you've ever been to know where you're stepping. It's going to feel awkward when you tell your boyfriend or girlfriend that you've got to move out of the house because you want to draw closer to the presence of God. It's going to feel awkward when you put the bottle down and pick your Bible up because you need comfort and encouragement. It's going to feel significant when you confess an addiction to online things and choose to go to someone and say, I'm taking my sandals off. I need help getting free. It's going to feel awkward because idols are being exposed and things things that were sitting on the throne of your heart are being removed and God is taking his proper place on the throne of your heart. It's going to feel awkward and it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. More on why it's worth it later. But what are your sandals that you need to take off? Is it a mindset? Is it fear? Is it money in that you have a lot of it? Is it money in that you want a lot of it? Is it poverty? Which doesn't mean the having or the not having of money. Poverty is a mindset. And you can have a poverty mindset even with much. It's just fear that you're going to run out at any time. And many, many very wealthy people suffer from that. Is it an ungodly relationship? Is it an addiction? What are the sandals? What are the things that have been carrying you where you were going? What is it that you've been running from? What is it that you're running towards? I want to say that we should not ever approach the presence of God without ever being changed. There's this thing that happens sometimes. Now People are into soaking worship, and soaking worship is good. And you want to get in the presence of God and you want to rest in his presence. And you're going to you probably cry and you'll probably shout a little bit and you'll jump up and down and you'll have a moment. You'll just be in the presence of God, but don't be in the presence of God and leave changed or else it might be that you just had a very emotional experience. Our band is good enough that you could come and have an emotional experience. Tiffany is gifted singer enough that you could come and have a very emotional experience and really enjoy the music and enjoy the beat and enjoy our sound system and the environment and the faith and the presence of God but never really encounter Him in a changing way. And that would be a great tragedy if we're spending time with God, if we're drawing near into his presence, we will feel the sting of conviction and we will feel the provocation to repent and to turn from the things that are sinful. We won't just be satisfied. You won't just be satisfied to have an emotional experience, but you'll want to become more and more and more like him. Have you ever seen a group of people where somebody shows up and then everybody talks like that person? ever seen it there's this guy at the gym and he does a you know so you know guys you you just you know you dap it up right and you're just like all right all right and just kind of all through it you're encouraging one another and you're doing it there's just one guy who does it a little bit different he goes like this so so he's up like this he's like yeah pop like up here and i'm confused i'm like i don't know what to do because i'm sticking to what i know I'm just, I'm just going to do what I know because it's safe for me and I don't want to mess anything up. And then if I do this to the wrong person, then I'm the one who's, I'm not cool enough to start something. I'm like the second follower. You know where the guy, yeah, so that's a whole nother thing. So he's like this and then he's like this. But what I notice is within a week of this guy showing up, dapping everybody like this, which I've never seen before in my life, I'm like, I don't even know what's happening. Everybody at the gym's doing it. The presence of God is very much that way. That as we draw close to the presence of God, as we draw near to his spirit, as we get into his presence, he will change and transform us into his image. And we'll start doing and feeling and being and loving like he loves and is. And we'll start looking a lot less like us and a lot more like his son, Jesus Christ. We'll start loving one another more holy and more fully. We'll start caring for one another more less selfishly. Maybe we all be willing to turn aside and recognize what God is doing and respond to his voice. Now, why is this? He says, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Not only is God holy, but the things that belong to him are also holy. And if the things that belong to him are holy, we ought to treat it with the same reverence and respect that we treat him with. Now, what does the Bible say about the saints? We're holy. We're a holy people, a royal priesthood. When we talk about and interact with the body, we ought to do so with reverence. We ought to do so with respect. After it all, is his, it is his bride. I, I, I just speaking personally, if somebody wants to speak very highly of me and not very highly of my wife, our relationship will not last long. If you respect me and you want to approach me a certain way, I would hope that you approach my wife with the same respect. Even if you've had a bad experience with her. That's where the analogy breaks down because my wife has never done anything wrong. just... <laughs> We need to approach the things of God in a holy manner. Your life is going to be set apart for something. Another way to say it is your life will be holy to something. Your time will be set apart to something. Your heart will be set aside to something. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's someone Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, the only thing that we can set our hearts attend towards, the only thing that we can be holy toward that will give us life is Christ Himself. There's no amount of good stuff, no amount of moral action, no amount of social justice that we can accomplish, no amount of good sayings, money that we can give, trees planted cans recycled that we can do to solve the spiritual spiritual problem of sin. There's nothing that we can say or do outside of Christ to bring redemption to ourselves. What I'm saying is we can't make ourselves holy. Only Christ can do that. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament thing. I'm talking about Moses and approaching the presence of God correctly. Revelation that I quoted at the very beginning, that's a New Testament reality. God is unchanged. That's what makes the grace of Jesus Christ so remarkable. Is that God is still holy and righteous and just. And there is no difference between the Old Testament God that Moses and Abraham encountered and the God that we encounter. Here and worship. We ought to approach him with reverence. We ought to be changed as we approach his presence. We need to surrender to Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ that we're consecrated to be holy and we're consecrated by him to him and for him. It's his blood that was spilled that covers our iniquities and our sin. Romans 6.23 says, but the wages of, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So somebody has to die for your sins, for the distance between God's expectations of us and where you find yourself. And Jesus died that death for you. And he gives us the free gift of salvation for anyone who would call on his name. We are saved by him. We're saved to him. The primary thing, the primary victory that we have as we're saved to him is eternal life. It is his presence. It is being plugged fully into him. And so we can be filled with his spirit and reunited with the one who gave us life and designed us with with and for a purpose when we're washed clean by Jesus Christ, what happens is now we can approach God and we can be reunited with Him in a way that we couldn't when sin separated us from Him. And so we are one to Him. It's a popular idea that we're one so that we can do great things. But the great things that you will do are secondary, tertiary, fourthiary to to knowing Him. I, I don't know what it is either. It'll work. You got what I was saying. you picking up what I'm putting down. The primary thing is that we're to him. To him. And for him. It's for him to use us how he sees fit. He is the one who's preeminent in all things. He's the one who formed us, created us, gave us purpose, calls us by name. In the same way he called Moses that day from the burning bush, he's calling you and me every single day. Every day we're to pick up our cross and recalibrate our way to that bush. Every day we're to pick up our word and be reminded of the purpose that God has for us. Of the life that he intends for us. Of the victory that he hopes for us. Father, we love you. Oh, we thank you that you're a holy God. And from your throne of grace, you could just strike us dead. But you pursue us. You come after us. You beat us where we're going. And call our name. Tonight we respond by saying, here I am. Here we are, God.